What's good, everybody? This episode of the podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. They are the go-to for digital music distribution and the easiest way for musicians to get your music onto Spotify, iTunes, Amazon, TikTok, YouTube, and more. They offer unlimited uploads, and artists keep 100% of their earnings in stores 10 to 20 times faster than any other distributor. Fastest payouts. They help out with automatic splits, cover song clearance, and all kinds of other amazing tools and templates to help you get the most visibility for your releases. I dig this company and really appreciate their business model that offers more features than any other distributor at the most affordable price possible for solo musicians, bands, studio artists, DJs, and any other creators that are producing music in their home. And they also offer label services as well. They're distributing over a third of the world's digital music at this point. And the best part about DistroKid sponsoring the podcast is that they are offering Dan Cable Presents listeners 30% off your first year of membership, making their already affordable services even cheaper. Check out the link in the episode notes. I will also put it in my Instagram bio in the link tree. Click that link and it will give you 30% off your first year of service. Super stoked to have DistroKid sponsoring the podcast and can't thank them enough for their support of this thing. This episode of the podcast is also sponsored by Produce Row Cafe here in Portland, Oregon. This has become one of my favorite local hangs because they have free music every Wednesday night from 6 to 8 p.m. and Sunday afternoons 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. They are located in inner southeast Portland and not only do they offer free music on their their large patio setup, but they've also got a killer brunch menu from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. The French toast and the breakfast sandwich are lights out. And I can't really do much alcohol personally, but I love their Virgin Bloody Marys. And they've got some other mocktails for folks like me as well. And they're always rotating in new seasonal cocktails. So come through and check out what they've got on deck for fall and winter down there. The patio is now nice, covered, and heated and will be throughout the fall and winter. So come through and big thanks to Produce Row for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. What is happening, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Dan Cable Presents podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the program once again. If this is your first time listening, thanks for checking out the show. You can find fresh episodes coming at you every Friday. And if you want to help support this thing in a free way, you can do so by clicking subscribe on iTunes, clicking write a review, giving the podcast five stars if you feel like it is deserving of so, and that will help propel this thing into the tops of those iTunes charts, giving it more visibility 
on the national and international levels, helping strangers find the podcast and just a great way to contribute to the growth and sustainability of this thing. Appreciate the hell out of all the folks that have already taken the time to do so. If you're not listening on Apple, just hit like, follow, subscribe, wherever you are listening from. Tell a friend about it. Share it somewhere. You know, the podcast is available on Spotify now. I've also been dropping monthly playlists every first of the month, keeping it pretty wide spread on the genres included on those playlists. And there's also some genre specific ones up there as well. So the Spotify profile link will be in the episode notes. Happy holidays. Happy Festivus. Merry Christmas. Hope everybody is hanging tough through the uh, the holiday Madness, hope if you uh, want to be around your family that you get to. And uh, if you don't, I hope that you're not forced to be with, you know. And I hope that you didn't lose your mind trying to get the perfect gift for somebody and stressing out about something as dumb as that. But uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good about my, my gift selections. I'll tell you that, you know. I'm not, I'm not stressing out about that. I think I, uh, I think I picked the correct gift for my, my lady friend. I like to call her my live-in, and it makes her <laughs> upset. I think I don't think she likes. I don't think she loves it. I think she's beginning to find some humor in it. But um, yeah, I'm pretty stoked about the the gift that I got for my girlfriend. I feel like it uh, it displays that I have listened throughout the year of uh of what her little heart desires and i think i have i have come through so that's great and i'm i'm just stoked to have the day off that's what i'm excited about just hanging out making breakfast watching some christmas movies maybe doing some home alone here on christmas eve maybe some jingle all the way i don't know who knows who knows what's going to happen tonight. I might just uh, end up watching Holiday Great British Baking Show all night. That could be a strong possibility as well. But, uh, yeah, I hope you're all uh, doing well out there. Hope you're finding ways to, to keep your head above water and surrounding yourself with some, some people in some way that uh, make you feel good. And I'm excited to share episode 288 with you this week my conversation with portland beat maker producer and community organizer love jones is on the show we had an in-depth chat earlier this week and i'm stoked to share it i love talking to beat makers and and producers hip-hop and rap have been in my rotation from a pretty young age being one of the the last generations of kids who were Raised on MTV every day from the age of eight. I can remember coming home from school and uh, putting on MTV or those those long summer breaks. And when both my parents were working, sometimes I would just be hanging out, watching MTV every day, watching Nirvana and Biggie and Tupac. And growing up in Southern California, we had Power 106, which I think is like one of the better hip-hop and rap stations in the country and at that time that was uh 
you know, the heyday of, of Snoop Dogg and, and Dre and everything kind of West Coast was uh, constantly on the radio and, and playing somewhere. So that was uh, that was something I feel like that was kind of a constant along with the the Green Day and the Metallica. I was always listening to some rap and kind of seeking out new rap as I got older and over time my infatuation for wanting to learn how to sample and and make beats has uh has kind of grown from that as well and I haven't quite gotten to the point where I'm doing something like that I got a DJ controller and I've been doing some DJing so I feel like that's moving into that space a little bit and I dig that quite a bit so the opportunity to chat with producers like Love Jones is always fun and inspiring for me to learn how they got their start in it and kind of how their process has evolved over time. So we'll get into that momentarily. We recorded this conversation in a conference room over at Portland Center Stage where Love Jones works. And there was a event in the room that was active. So you can hear a slight hum, but I think the recording kind of gives you the feel of really being in the room faintly in the background. You'll Maybe hear his co-workers from time to time or the the elevator bell. So there's a little on-site recording rawness to this this episode with Love Jones, which he uh, I feel like that's fitting because he talks about in this conversation how he appreciates that about certain productions and especially the stuff that, that he makes. He doesn't like it always to be 100% polished across the board. So anyway, this is a great chat with this dude and uh, the hype about him being incredibly kind was was met and he just has a very warm personality and I enjoyed getting to hang with him and pick his brain about his extensive collection of records that he has made which if you're one of these people who's deep into the lo-fi study beat or you know just enjoys those low-key instrumentals for getting your work done this is uh definitely something that you should be checking out these are great tunes to drift off to or just have playing in the background so be sure to follow love jones on all the things if you dig what you hear on this episode and also follow a beat happening which is a project that love jones founded and i really appreciate the spirit behind that project and his desire to connect with artists around him and trying to facilitate a space to help those artists understand the avenues they can tap into to share their art and creating an encouraging environment while instilling the importance of community within them through those events and and just trying to fill the room with a real mixed bag of experience within the artists in the room i think is uh is a cool thing to encourage as well so check out a beat happening i'll put the link in the episode notes for that along with the links for love jones himself all of his music can be found on Bandcamp, and uh, a lot of it can be found on the streaming services as well so add them to your playlist that's a great way to support artists also if you live in the portland oregon area you can see love jones every second sunday at North 45 in Northwest Portland from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. alongside one of his go-to collaborators and fellow Portland beatmakers, Free Tillman. They'll be there 
playing some original beats as well as some other lo-fi and uh, chill hip-hop stuff and jazz. So that's every second Sunday, 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. They've also got some other Tuesday night residencies going on every first Tuesday at North 45, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. is Vanport. And second Tuesdays is WWJP. Third Tuesdays is Sicko Side, and fourth Tuesdays is Spinach. So, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., free music at North 45 on their covered heated patio over there. So, check out the link in the episode notes. And uh, also, I'll be DJing New Year's Eve over at North 45. I'm super excited about that. Also, the free Wednesday night music that is going on at Produce Row Cafe from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. is going to be moving to Thursday nights in the new year. So stay tuned for that. Excited to announce the Jeff Chilton residency. They'll be there every first Thursday. And they're also doing a uh, special Valentine's Day set over there as well. So uh, Produce Row link will be in the episode notes along with that North 45 one. Check those places out for some free tunes throughout the week. And we're going to get into this thing. The last regular episode of the year. Next week, I'll be uh, I'll be back dropping the, the best of 2021 episode and maintaining that tradition of, of doing a best of episode. Always cool to take some time to reflect on the year and uh, the the roster of guests that have come through, which has been pretty amazing this year. Couldn't have uh, projected a year like this, and I'm I'm excited for what is to come in in the new year. So stay tuned for the best of episode coming at you next friday as well as an i dig records best of episode and we're gonna get in to episode 288 and we're gonna kick it off with a track off of his messengers album from 2019 it's called night people let's do the damn thing and this was our version for the night people to me it's it's the big city just feels like the big city when it's laid back, you know, after the panic and tension is out of the way. And it's it's just uh, the mellow side of the city, you know, because every city has a mellow side and an uptight side. And I think this is the mellow side of the city. And it's I think this will take everybody down after they've had their day of stress and so forth. to talk to you i've uh i've only heard like the kindest and nicest things about you and uh i'm a big fan of of your music and and Thank all you. of uh 
your production. So I'm stoked to have the opportunity to to get to chat with you. I've seen you uh, do some live beat sets uh, at least once or twice. So I've gotten gotten that experience, but don't know. Uh, I don't know too much about you at all, except for that <laughs> you know you're one of the the co-founders of a beat happening um, that going on here in Portland. So uh, I thought we'd maybe kind of start from the beginning and, and talk about your uh, your entry point into music and what kind of got you interested and, and hooked into to making music. So yeah, man, I love talking about that. So yeah, where where does it where do things begin? Where does where do you get uh kind of catch the music bug and and get interested in all of this? Yeah, it's uh I mean, there's a, there's a few entry points, but I think for me, I was really and still continue to be very fascinated by uh, turntablism, um, and that was for the longest time. You know, I, I, growing up listening to music, I didn't realize that I was often drawn to the production of stuff. Like I found myself not even listening to lyrics most of the time. It was about like. You know, before I even knew what samples were, but it was like how sound was manipulated. And so I never knew that, that there was a role. Like, I didn't know that there was a defined role for that. Um, but when I saw uh, some footage of, like, Invisible Scratch Pickles, I was just like, I love this. <laughs> I love, like, the live manipulation of vinyl, you know, that they were using a lot of breakbeats and stuff that I recognized. Um and there was a period where I was interested in it, but I, but I, my background is in visual arts. And so my contribution to that ended up being me working with, uh, like with musicians for album packaging and cover art and stuff like that. But all the while making my own stuff, but never trying to blend those two worlds. Uh, and so, you know, that, was my entry point for that and then I had a a friend who made beats I mean I've had a lot of friends that make beats <laughs> uh but I was always kind of like picky with my ear I'm like they make beats but it's not like necessarily my thing and then I had a friend who who I could tell instantly I was like these are the type of beats I was like you are clearly influenced by like DJ Premier and Pete Rock and, mm. and I was like I want to teach me how to make the beats that you make uh and while i don't i i can't like that's still something i'm aiming to do is like on that level of production he showed me how to make beats on an npc and that just planted the bug for me and i was just like oh man it's just a constant thing that i want to make a new version of and it just like started spiraling from there so yeah like, and even though you you didn't feel like you like knew how to make that stuff yet you you obviously had the ear and you were paying attention to stuff deep enough where you could identify that you know this was kind of influenced by this music that that you really enjoy that you were hearing in other people's productions and whatnot yeah i think and and like through those lenses too like i often would encounter like dj shadow's first album introducing was really transformative for me because i was like I can make just instrumentals. Like I don't have to make lyrical hip hop. I don't always have to find MCs to work with. 
and uh and it kind of set a template for me i was like oh i can just make beats <laughs> you know like i don't i don't have to make them and hope somebody raps over them i can make them just to make beats um granted you know dj shadow is artistically creates whole songs and like you know chunks of like whole movements within the song but i think that inspired me a lot of uh dilla and pete rock had like a bunch of like side projects that were just beat driven uh so there was like an inspiration there was like oh okay that could be my lane like i'll just keep making beats forever did you gravitate towards listening to hip-hop from a pretty young age oh yeah that, that was like you know I, I think the first time i heard early def jam stuff like a lot of like slick rick and beastie boys and ll cool j and all the, all those things uh i was like way more drawn to like loud drums um and every occasionally i would hear a sample of a song that i knew from my parents vinyl collection so i was like what game is this where I'm okay. trying to like figure out the song that I know we have the record of and how did they use it? And, you know, just the math problem that starts to generate from that. Um, and there was just something I, uh, that I liked about profanity. <laughs> you know, like, something powerful in, in using those words that, that you weren't supposed to be. Yeah. Cause I think a lot of it was like, we had like, um, you know, Richard Pryor and Red Fox. And my, like my dad had a bunch of like old comedy vinyl. And I was like, you know, of course, as a kid, you think curse words are hilarious wherever yeah. you hear them. But then when I heard music that used them over the lyrics, I was like, ooh, this is my new favorite thing. <laughs> like you can curse to a beat, you know, which is a very reductive version of that. But I was just like, what else do they talk about? And then, you know, public enemy. And it just kind of spiraled into like, I like the chaos of production of of hip hop stuff, and it was just a departure from a lot of the stuff my parents listened to. And my my brother was really into rock stuff, and so I caught a bunch of different genres. But the one that just I just wanted to like gather all the information I could was hip hop. Yeah. And you like wanted to know who produced the record yeah. and where the samples came from, and <laughs> like for sure, like reading the liner notes and being like what is this, this Shy Lights record or, you know, whatever it was. And I was like, now I want to find that. And I remember geeking out to, uh, I used to go record digging with a friend of mine, um, DJ Schooley, if anybody, no one will know him out here, but like just props to shout out DJ Schooley. But we used to go digging and I remember I found, uh, it was the vinyl 1933 silent film soundtrack by Lee Irwin. And I was just kind of going through it thinking, oh, silent films. I bet there might be something cool in here. And The Thief of Baghdad was one of the songs. Whatever. And I was just kind of going through it. And then the second half of the song was the sample that DJ Premier used for um, Represent off Illmatic. And I was like, oh, shit, I know this sample. (laughs) I was like, I'm buying this record. I just found a secret gem. And, you know, and then you get on YouTube and realize, oh, the whole world already knows this sample. But, like, that was such a spark for me. It's always so fun when when it clicks in, you know, without you having to actually look it up. You yeah. know, and you're like, I know this, especially when it's a little more 
obscure and it's not just the Marvin Gaye sample or something. Yeah, you know? that happened uh, on another trip where we found, um, if I remember, it was like Charlie Whitehead and the Swamp Dog Band or something. And it was a, the sample that high tech dj high tech used for shafts or no um move something from reflection eternal's yeah. first album absolutely and i was just like oh shit he didn't change anything like the horns move exactly like that and i was like i always thought that was programming like one horn sample but it's just things like that it just makes it fun you know like it's like a like hitting the library and learning all the things you yeah. can all the source material fellas want to hover in my cipher like a helicopter like it's a special honor the stealth bomber gem dropper make the ghetto holler it's a continental taking you high like skydivers when we spark with live wires original caveman quest for my fire you use a lot of vocal narrations of, you know those those types of samples throughout the catalog of tunes which i really dig do you do you think that has anything to do with having those comedy records around and kind of like enjoying those those voices and those thoughts because i know you're not necessarily always using stand-ups or you know you're a lot of times you're using just different music artists uh interviews and and things like that but do you think there's some sort of correlation there yeah i think a lot of times like at some of the framework that i give to my to the beats because it's mostly pretty chill there's occasionally upbeat stuff but like i used to call it like music to decompress to or like zone out to and so i would try to find audio samples that kind of set the mood like if people couldn't quite get it from the beat that this kind of gives you an idea of like this is just going to be <laughs> kind of like brain food or something to contemplate for um but yeah that's where a lot of that comes from and i weirdly i'll listen to a bunch of interviews while i'm making beats to kind of catch little snippets like that and be like ooh i like that i'm going to sample that yeah and often that uh can kind of maybe inform where the the title of the song comes from yeah exactly and sometimes i'll try to make like a hint at where the source material is but not give full like that's just part of the game for me too like i didn't want to call them like untitled one through a hundred or something like i want to kind of give them a phrase about what i was thinking of when i was making it or like citing the the material you know some word from the sample that may have sparked it yeah for sure so how early are we talking where you actually start making your own music? Uh, are you in high school when this is going on? Yeah, like late high school. I think I never had access to instruments or anything when I was growing up. So like it was usually at a friend's house if they had instruments or they had like parents guitar and like I would not call it listenable music, but we used to just make racket with... <laughs> whatever like a single snare drum or a guitar which because i never knew how to play anything i would just like kind of like tap on the guitar to make drums so like for whatever reason it never clicked that i wanted to learn drums i just wanted to make drums noises <laughs> and like i used to go around and like scratch vinyl surfaces to make the scratch sound but never with a vinyl no one i knew had a turntable yeah. so it was like the super DIY, I have no instruments, but I still want to make music <laughs> stuff. 
So we would just sit around and, and we had a tape recorder and would just record us making noise. Uh, and I still have some of those tapes. And I think like that, the, the lack of quality, kind of like the ambient noise and like stuff happening in the background still informs my work a little bit. Like I still like not completely clean stuff. Um, so yeah, high school. And then as I got into college is when I started to meet like beat makers, um, who were like willing to share. I think a lot of people were kind of like, you got to be part of my crew for me to share. But yeah. <laughs> there's that whole weird trip, especially when you're early on, like yeah. younger dealing with that kind of thing of like, Oh no, I can't, I can't show you. You might get ahead of me. Yeah. If or I show you something I know. <laughs> exactly. Or like, you're going to want to be over here all the time. <laughs> I don't really know you like that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, I mean, that is what happened. But I, at some point, uh, my friend Josue who goes by reconstructo. He like had a, a second MPC and he was like, just take it home and mess with it and, you know, see what you can do with it. I might need it back eventually, but he let it, he lent it to me. And then, yeah, I just, I couldn't resist trying to cook up ideas all the time. And then before I knew it, I had like hundreds of beats and no one to use them. And so I was like, I don't want to delete these. There's probably something in here that's worthwhile, but I'm not a rapper, so I was like, I don't, I didn't know what to do with them, and then Bandcamp came along, and I was like, I'm going to just start putting out little beat tapes. Did that kind of become where you spent most of your time then? Oh, yeah. With this like, this MPC and, and making those early beats? Yeah, pretty much. Like, any time I would come home, it, it's always been like this kind of like lifelong end-of-the-day decompression situation like i come home kind of process my day through making music uh or just listening to music or you know even like laying down basic ideas of stuff um but yeah that's that's essentially it's just kind of been a creative process that's lasted forever decompressive music or i'm i often find myself kind of you know it's easy to lose yourself in it's easy to you know end up in like dream world listening (laughs) to the tracks which like i think is very cool like that that accomplishes something in in just becoming this escape so it's cool that you know that's what it is for you that that's kind of the mentality that you have in making the music of hey let me just process the day through this and uh see where it takes me and you know and that's kind of like the joy i guess i get out of instrumental music is not having that narrative and maybe you you get those those vocal samples here and there to to set a tone or give you something to think about during the track but there's there's not like a push of lyrics that tells you how you're supposed to be feeling yeah yeah and that's that's something it's funny because a lot of it that's why I'm like never concerned with uh, 
like whether or not they're full songs or fully fleshed out like beginning and end stuff sometimes it just ends abruptly but um a lot of times it was just like this is what i wanted it to be when i made it uh you know and as as with time i think i'm always like trying to make it a little smoother of an ending or an intro or something like that but (laughs) sometimes i'm just like i just want to get the idea out and then i'll forget to finish it but then i can kind of ease it into another track by having a long intro or something but i've found that even though i just kind of made it for myself but i share it with everyone out in the world a lot of people use it for similar reasons like a lot of people listen to it while they work or while they drive somewhere or they kind of use it for what it's intended without any guidance which is really cool to me yeah i was i was just kind of doing some some late night internet cruising doing emails last night it's just like the perfect thing to have on while i'm trying to get some work done but also you know keeping my mind stimulated and you know something mysterious to it at times and like i said it's just it's easy to get caught up in and even though they're often just a one minute jam yeah. it's like these little vignettes and that kind of sends you in in different directions but it all like seems to to meld together well and um i was thinking about a track like blue collar today oh, yeah. off of legends and yeah. legends is definitely you you got so many fucking <laughs> records dude, <laughs> that we can like dive into but as far as you know the ones that stick out to me legends is is definitely one of those collections of tunes that i i did quite a bit and uh yeah do you do you feel like music has been like a pretty great tool for you to like process your inner blues or you know tap into those feelings in some sort of healthy way yeah i I think very much so like a lot of it is like it almost serves as an outlet for the things that I consume, you know, whether it's just day-to-day life, but also, like I said, just listening to interviews or whatever it is, I'm always kind of gathering sound bites or samples or, you know, I'll hear something. Like, I used to live in New York and I would just sit and wait for the train and just record people in the subway because <laughs> there's a lot of crazy people who just scream things or, you know, conversations or street musicians whatever it was i was like i don't you can't really ask permission for that so i was like let me just record these ambient weird things and then try to float them at the end of a song just as like an outro or something um but a lot of it comes from just communicating mood when i try to explain to people what kind of music we do i always tell them that we are musicians and then we deal in the field of bluesology. We did a song about the blues. So we'd like to take you into a song called Blue Collar. just like being in that atmosphere of new york that's you got you got so much coming at you always something to to inspire some sort of production or if you hit the record on on the recorder you're gonna capture some kind of wild conversation to set something in motion (laughs) (laughs) yeah a lot of street or like uh train performers would get on 
And I used to love how they would introduce themselves. Like they'd be like, "Ladies and gentlemen, I'm about to do a thing." And I was like, "Oh, I used to used to try to record those and use them as intros for stuff because I I don't like to talk on my records, but I love to like catch audio of other people trying to introduce something. Yeah, because it's not smooth most of the time, <laughs> and I like how they kind of stumble through or they'll say something crazy, and I'm like, I'm gonna use that. <laughs> <laughs> like I used to want to do a whole album of just intros, like super over the top intros and a really chill song. Well, it's just it's fun how you can uh, really manipulate what somebody's saying without chopping up a vocal necessarily just by the tone you set yeah. with the instrumental. You yeah, know? you could have like this ridiculously goofy thing and you could have this dramatic music under it that makes it like feel serious and earnest or you know just touches something different yeah and that's that's part of the fun of it is like no it doesn't work over this track oh it's perfect over this one or like you know maybe not at the beginning or you know it that's part of the fun of the the creation process is just like where would i want to hear this if i was listening and some of that is just like an homage to those like you know albums when people used to try to pack it full of everything but like outcast used to do that a lot they had a lot of like weird skits between songs um and i was always like oh like i don't know i i'm not doing skits but i'd like to like throw a little nugget of thought before on to the next track yeah for sure it's uh i think that those are very cool transitions into those those next tracks too <laughs> Again, it's nice to, I don't know. I like having that kind of something that throws, you're throwing something to, that like gives you something to think about during that next track and having that time to, to process it in, in that way yeah. is, uh, I think is cool. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fun thing to put in there and see if, if it, if people catch it, some people don't listen all the way through and, like, I'll forget that I put stuff in there sometimes, and then I'll be... Like, there's some Spotify playlists of just, like, everything that's on streaming services, and I'll listen to it sometimes and be like, damn, I forgot I made this. <laughs> I forgot I made this, and I forgot I used that audio snippet. <laughs> I, I found something in life that I gravitated to that kept my attention, man. I was the kid that was always getting into trouble and just could never get focused in nothing, man, and, and the arts gave me something to believe in. I'm not gonna believe in myself and feel good about myself. So, you know, it was just like I did anything. I, I, was, I had no fear with this. It's something that made me feel good about myself, 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 myself. Uh, Last Bus Home off of Legends is another one of my favorite tracks and I think that that one just really embodies the title of the song you know like that as far as drifting off into a jam you know when I'm listening to that one I, I can picture myself as the last person on the bus you know that that all that empty space and those last couple stops come in and it definitely has that vibe to it yeah that's I mean that's it's funny it's not the most obscure title but it's totally based on having been that person in multiple cities but I, there was like one this sounds ridiculous but it was like one christmas eve i got off work 
and the bus showed up and I got on and I was like the only person on there but I was like yeah, it's Christmas Eve so I'm not surprised but the bus went one stop and then was like like done for the night <laughs> and I was like wait no I got I, I'm nowhere near my house <laughs> and I was like and so I remember the, the bus driver was like where are you trying to go and it was like way across town and he called into whatever dispatch and was like I got a lost soul or something like that <laughs> And so he like turned off all the lights and just, I told him where I was at and he just drove straight there to the nearest bus stop and dropped me off. And like the thought of kind of him racing through town and he's like, I just got to get rid of this dude, but he didn't kick me off the bus. And that whole ride of being like, it's like a giant private taxi (laughs) or something. But I was like, I appreciated it, but I was like, it, it always sticks out as like, I've definitely accidentally been on the last bus to anywhere just from you know living life in cities drivers just waiting to like <laughs> when when when's he gonna get off yeah like you could see him looking in the rearview mirror been like is this your stop because i'm not driving any further and i'm like no i need to go further <laughs> it's too cold out i think that's uh one of those tracks to me though that speaks to your ability to paint a picture through through song for sure that one was a fun one too because i have a my friend brian played guitar over that um and i think the way that he kind of builds the guitar over the course of the song and then i i like put a like a longer ending on it so it could kind of fade out kind of drift out dreamily style yeah that it's a favorite of mine too because it was like a collaboration with him with his guitar that felt seamless like it didn't feel like the guitar was overpowering it felt like part of the sample yeah and i was like i like the way this begins and it ends and just the vibe that it gives off yeah dude i think just overall i really like your use of guitars throughout your productions i think that does add a lot to those those dreamy elements of certain records for sure yeah yeah Yeah. and it kind of i don't know it also seems to communicate to me that you seem to like appreciate a pretty wide range and eclectic collection of music yeah no it's that's (laughs) very accurate like uh, it started from like everything from like Delta blues kind of super stripped down, you know, guy in a room by himself with a guitar to like experimental crazy stuff too. There's always like a lot of soundtracks, a lot of like things where I'm uh, trying to pull from really busy to like really mellow and like really stripped down too. Um, yeah, it's always, it's always fun. Well, I think it's uh, like, you know, I don't make beats or compose music in that way, but I just got to imagine that that's like one of the fun parts is that you're really searching in all these places that you would maybe not necessarily even care to be listening to in the first place. But you're, you are just like you said in the beginning, like you've always kind of been listening to the stuff that's happening like in the background in some ways and drawn to those little things, you know? So (laughs) just picking out those single lines or, you know, these little 
piano samples or, or these just little guitar licks or whatever from you know this music that maybe doesn't even necessarily connect with you in any way but you see how that can work somewhere else yeah i uh it's funny uh i often credit some of that eclecticness to the public library because i used to go there as a kid and they would once i found out that you could rent like or you could borrow like was it it was like 20 or 30 CDs at a time yeah. and i was like i'm i'm just going to go whole sections at a time and take them home and try to burn CDs and like get you know they were a lot of not great stuff but every once in a while i would hit like a compilation of like i don't know, like uh steel guitar or something and just be like i have no idea what this is <laughs> or like how to even listen to it but i was like Maybe there's some gold on there. And so I would just like hoard music from the library and and then go through it and be like, huh, I would have never picked this out if I went to the CD store, but I'll, I got it for free from the library. So I'm going to try to go through it. Another cool thing about, you know, going through your catalog of music is that it, you know, it's existed for 10 plus years. Yeah. Um, so, you know, going back to the dust up 2010 release, is that like the first official yeah. love Jones release? Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, you can definitely hear all the soul <laughs> influence in there though, you know, yeah. and, and just seeing the progression, like not only in the compositions, but also like in the actual like production and engineering is, yeah. is very cool to see over time and how the records hit differently, you know, eight years later, 10 years later, did you quickly find that making beats turned into learning the engineering side and the, and the mixing side of things pretty quickly too? Yeah, that was not something I ever anticipated. It was like, I mean, I always knew mastering and engineering was part of it, but I was like, I, I just like, I would compress the file for output and then just was like it sounds fine and then i'd put it out but now when i go back and listen i'm like oh man the volumes are all over the place you know the drums are not as loud as i would make them now but there's something there's a charm to that that i'm like that i usually end up talking to people who are like afraid to put out music because it's not perfect and i'm like i like when it's not perfect because i can hear the growth yeah. Like I like hearing how a lot of them are like lo fi unintentionally where I'm like, oh, I just didn't turn it up enough or I, I didn't like normalize this and that. Because uh, that's part of the fun for me now. And, and every once in a while, I'll, sl- I'll go back and play one of those in a live set. And no, I mean, as a beat maker, no one knows what's new and what's old most of the time. Uh, but to me, I'm like, I this one worked really well, you know, and it was loud enough that I can throw it in a mix and it sounds fine. But I'm like, it's funny to me to like dig back in my own stuff and be like, oh man, I should remake this. <laughs> <laughs> it's also cool though, because not only do you like, can you see the evolution of things? I think you can always see that certain things were always there, like a track, um, like, don't pass it by has those spacey elements those spacey dreamy feels to them that 
you know often show up in your production yeah. so it wasn't just you reaching like your soul sample bag <laughs> yeah and that's been part of the fun too is going back and being like what was i listening to then you know like what was what was this urgent push it's funny a lot of uh even though it's not it's illmatic is not an instrumental album but like in the beginning like when i was putting stuff out i was like i don't want to make it longer than illmatic like i was like nine tracks ten tracks people won't listen for that long and then when you realize that at a minute and a half each your album's like 13 minutes long and i was like oh i could i could go longer than that probably support was was there almost immediately which was kind of crazy there was a bunch of like strictly beat making blogs that were around and then i would submit stuff to them and then after a while they just started posting things as they came out um but it was really cool to see like there was like a global network of people just who just made beats and i was like oh this is more my lane than trying to like hey if you're an mc rap over this which can be an exhausting effort. Yeah, I would assume. And I would assume that's kind of, I don't know, just put some unnecessary pressure on you about like a feeling indifferent about your self-worth if nobody is approaching you yeah. about wanting to use your beats. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it, it's funny because a lot of, like my friend Josue who taught me, I was kind of like the groups. He was the beat maker and MC. And then there was another MC, Dana. Um, and I would, like, go on tour with them to, like, DJ and kind of, like, hit play and do stuff in the background. Um, and, like, Josue knew that I made beats, but, like, he taught me how to make beats, so he was never like, I need beats. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but every once in a while, I would play stuff for him just to show him where I was at. And, uh, you know, they might use one out of every 20. And I was like... But I still like the other ones, so I'm just going to put it on Bandcamp, give it a title, make a cover for it, and see what happens. You know, And made everything free in the beginning. And people started to download it, you know, not by the hundreds or anything, but it was enough that I was like, this has a place in the world without MCs. So I was like, let me, let me explore this. Yeah. Did you feel good about having some music actually out and yeah it felt sharing it yeah it was cool to see people like the one thing that one of the things about Bandcamp that was cool um and is still to some extent i don't i don't check the stats as much anymore but like you could see like different different regions of the world where people were listening it was like japan and mexico and new zealand and poland and it was just wild to see like where it ended up because I was like based on zero marketing <laughs> I would just <laughs> upload stuff and be like let's see what happens and then people would inevitably find it and be like you know every once in a while an MC would reach out but sometimes it would just be like people listening and I was like I, I love that 
with no market no marketing that someone is listening in Japan and being like you know using it for something and I was just like I like I like the mystery of of where it ends up yeah it's very cool that you like have no idea who's actually listening and getting something out of this thing that you made yeah <laughs> it's interesting too because some people try to write you in their language like the, there was a kid from Poland who wrote he didn't speak English and I certainly don't speak Polish. So it was just like this, I could tell he was trying to compliment the song and like, I couldn't tell if he wanted to use it for something, but I was like, I love that he felt inspired enough to reach out, you yeah. know, that he liked it enough that he's like, I'm going to say something, even if I can't really be clear. <laughs> I like, I just like that. I like unintentional like collaboration or the reach of things without me having to be like push it on people yeah like, it just is here you can find it or not i'm still gonna make it <laughs> yeah and that's the thing is like none of that happens unless you actually follow through in making your art and and then sharing it in yeah. some fashion so that's always rad too <laughs> yeah and i think there was there's was just enough design involved with it where i was like let me make an album cover I'll title all the songs. Like, you know, it wasn't just like Love Jones Beat Tape Volume 3. Like, I, I wanted it to be like that you might think there are lyrics on this. Like, if you saw the album, you're like, I don't know what this is, but there might be something on it. Yeah, I think I my, my takeaway from listening to your albums is that I always feel like I'm listening to a complete project. You yeah. know, each of them kind of seem to like live in their own space you know there's some some overlap in in feels but it uh especially like with the artwork yeah. seems to set a tone of things were you always since you kind of started with the visual art are you always picturing something in your mind when you're composing most of the time or were you ever just put something on in the background on silent and try to make music to that yeah i mean it, it's kind of there's no like single creative process that i've ever found sometimes it really depends on like what is inspired at the moment like if i'm listening to an interview i'm like what could i what kind of subtle beat could i build under this so that the that you can understand the words being said and it's not overpowering or if the sample's like super smooth and i immediately i'm like all right let me just put a beat under this so i know what direction i want to take it um and then you know it's just it's always kind of different um it always is, ends up being a challenge too because i'm like if somebody wants to know how i did something i'm like i don't i don't like there's no template for it yeah sometimes it's just reacting to the moment um but visually sometimes i'll just if I didn't make the image, then I'll just kind of search in my, not even really intentionally. Sometimes I'll just come across an image and I'm like, that's the one, you know, like that's, I'll build the whole vibe of the album off this image. Um, and like there's uh, a painter, Jeremy Okai Davis, who did the cover for Messengers. Like he didn't make that for the album, but I, I'm a fan of his paintings. And when I saw that piece, I was like, can I use this? for an album 
And he's like, yeah, it's Art Blakey and the Messengers. And I was like, yeah, I know who, <laughs> I know who it is. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, but part of the, the, the theme of the record is that each song has a vocal snippet at the, or at least involves that. Right, right. And like, so to me, the tie-in was like an homage to the painter, an homage to the word messengers, and a hint at the album having a bunch of messages buried in the beats. Yeah, dude, that, that, uh, the artwork for that one is very cool, and that one is also amongst my favorite records cool. of yours, and, and those vocal narrations those messages are a big part of that and how you kind of like set up the scene for that and yeah that stuff all just gives it this extra layer and different dynamic as we were talking about and kind of can shift shift tone or set tone for stuff which is right yeah it's been i sometimes will start a beat set <laughs> again not that anyone's coming to listen to speech snippets but like sometimes i'll start it off (laughs) i'm coming for it i'm here right i'm here just for the speeches uh i'll i'll start a set off with that because in my mind i'm like oh i'm setting the tone even though most people don't know what i'm playing and may not even be there for the beginning but it's usually what kind of like i set to to dictate the rest of the music yeah and it's it's so simple a lot of the times too of just you know the in my band track yeah. where the dude is just literally talking about people in his band <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is part of the fun of it too and even that like i mean this is some nerd stuff but like so i used to go to school uh, in wisconsin and one of my friends was the graphic designer for rhyme sayers and worked with atmospheres first few albums and through him, I met Idea, I met um, Abilities, I met Brother Ali, Musab, um, you know, Ant, and Slug from Atmosphere. It was like I met a bunch of the people involved there, and I was watching that interview with, uh, I think it's from Copyright Criminals, this is a movie PBS made about like sampling, and they were interviewing Idea. And abilities and that was his rant about like why do we sample and he's like i can i can put anyone i want in my band i can make art blakey my drummer i can make wes montgomery my guitarist i was like i love that <laughs> that's <laughs> that's what I, in my mind i'm like that is how i approach music i'm like i can't play anything but i know who can and i'm gonna like force them together wes montgomery to play guitar on he's in my band you know i got art blakey he's my drummer that's all these legendary musicians that are in my band. Hey everybody, just wanted to take a quick minute to let you know that this episode of the podcast is sponsored by North 45 Pub. Located in the Alphabet District of Northwest Portland, they've got a killer selection of Belgian beers and an extensive liquor wall with over 200 bottles. Mussels and Fritz are on the menu. Their cheeseburger is lights out, and they've always got some killer weekly specials as well. Aside from the menu items and beverages, they've got this awesome covered patio that is heated throughout the fall and winter 
with a bunch of big screens to watch all your favorite sports. And the best part is they have DJs playing tunes there every Tuesday night from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. and Sundays 4 p.m. to 6 p.m. So come through North 45 Pub for some tunes and some food. Let's get back to the episode. also like that track because you use the vocal there like as the narration but in that same track you have a vocal like chopped up that you're using as as an instrument so you're just like these two very opposite ends of how you can use a vocal in production yeah which and I, and I that's something yeah I do I use a lot of vocal stuff I really I can't sing but I love the sound of people singing in a lot of like old gospel records and you know people at peak emotion whether it's really high or really low <laughs> i like kind of gathering that to add to stuff and that that transition into that that song that follows the the pretty ugmo oh yeah that's uh <laughs> that's like maybe one of my favorite moments like in all of your records is just that that particular transition seems to hit on a very cool level yeah the the piano in that one was like that's Tyler, the creator, I think, talking about. He may not be able to articulate this, but he can play some of the most beautiful instrumentals you've ever heard. And I was right. just like, man, I was like, I, <laughs> if there's anything I can do, like if somebody's like, what kind of stuff do you listen to? And I send them like a thousand song playlist where I'm like, all oh, these vibes. That's what it feels like. I'm like, that's, I know that they're not all perfect, but there's some that are like, this is exactly the mood I want to create. And that that quote felt perfectly for that as far as kind of like creating a mood or um you know some sort of continuity between the the songs that go on particular albums is it like pretty easy for you to identify where things go in that manner or are you like usually kind of like working out on one project at a time i mean like all right this is definitely for this and then maybe you make another beat and you're like, this was supposed to be for this, but this doesn't feel right. I'm going to go put this like on the back burner. Maybe this goes <laughs> in another folder. Yeah. It's a lot of it is kind of a, like a month to month thing. Like I'll try to see like how much stuff do I make this month? If there's 10 songs, I'll put it aside as like an album idea, but there's nothing that I, I tend not to gather. It's, in a weird way, it's like I gather probably two, three months worth of work at a time, go through it and be like, in terms of sequencing it, would it make sense? Like, is it cons- like, not overthinking it, but like, do they match as a vibe if I put them all together? Yeah. And then there was like some years where I was like way too productive and had like, like I could have put out a hundred song project and, it would, <laughs> and I was like, I don't, that's annoying. Like I, I would, I think it would be hilarious, but I know that no one would have ever listened to all 100 beats. So I'm yeah. like, let me space them out. But then there's some that just not even that I don't want to release them. It's just like, I just put out, I have put out too much stuff. So I need to slow it down and then I'll go back and revisit them or just kind of forget. But that's the one thing about Bandcamp is like I can feel like I can put like extra projects out on there that maybe aren't on streaming. 
just kind of play with that idea but um a lot of it is just build up revisit see what works see what might be appropriate for something else but yeah i try to make sure everything i make comes out <laughs> eventually uh which is not always the case but i think a lot of times the majority of it is just because there's value in every idea even if it's not complete to me hmm. and so like it might be a weird snippet or it might be an extra thing that doesn't really fit but sometimes that's the one people are searching for <laughs> like sometimes people be like that's my favorite one and i'm like okay like that one that one <laughs> that took the a, least effort <laughs> that was a throwaway i was thinking maybe i wasn't gonna make it <laughs> yeah and like sometimes they'll you never know who's listening and i think part of that and that and i kind of got obsessive about that with like dilla like i i know i used to like just hoard his beat tapes the ones that are just floating around on the internet because i want to hear everything they've ever made like if, even if i don't like all of it i want to hear how their brain is working yeah and i think i'm no dilla <laughs> but i'm like i i want to put that i want to at least make it available in case somebody wants to know more is there a particular uh record of yours that you kind of like recognize of being like oh this was the one where things really clicked in for me and i started to like feel really good and confident about what i was doing like production wise engineering mixing where it all like kind of came together and set like a new precedent in your mind for what was to come yeah i think honestly legends was that for me um I think a lot of times up to that point, I viewed each album as kind of, I mean, they're all beat tapes to some extent. Uh, but that one was the one that I was like, I'm going to like do a campaign for this one. I'm going to, in my mind, I wanted to print, I wanted to press up vinyl for it, but <laughs> that was very cost prohibitive for someone <laughs> who's just like a solo artist. And so I was like, all right, let me, I'm going to make little promos for it. I'll put it on streaming services. Because for a long time, I was just on Bandcamp. Because I was like, I wasn't sure what streaming was being used. Like, I didn't know anybody who sat and listened to iTunes or whatever it was. CD Baby. Like, for a long time, until Spotify and other things came along, I just didn't understand how people listened to music. Yeah. Um, but with with Legends, I was like, let me just put this on every platform. And if this is how people discover my work, they can backtrack from here. Or this can be the, the, the moving forward point where I, everything I put up after this will be on streaming too. So that one, and I think that one was more like a... Yeah, there's something about it where I was just like, I like the artwork for it i like the themes of this album um i mostly figured out how to not how to eq things better i mean there's still i can still hear things that i would change but that one felt like a shift to the style that i wanted to keep going with like that felt like an album versus a beat tape even though they're essentially the same thing yeah 
one where you like really felt good about the the sequencing yeah and, and stuff like that is that is it hard for you to not get too lost in that whole process of, of just like figuring out where the songs go on the record yeah i mean sometimes i'll get it's funny how obsessed you get about like oh beats especially because it's not like there's like lyrical movements but a lot of times it's kind of it's it sounds weird maybe to say it out loud i don't know if i've ever explained it like this but i try to picture it like a uh like a baseball lineup like a leadoff hitter like a that's like awesome. a, the yeah. rbi hitter the power hitter you know like and then thin out the lineup as the averages get lower <laughs> utility I, players at the bottom yeah, exactly designated hitter <laughs> the bullpen yeah like it, it's a weird it's a weird like baseball construction where i'm like you know that it's a weird vision but that's kind of how i pictured it like when i'm sequencing something i'm like a little bit of spark build the energy and then kind of let it chill out towards the end um and then sometimes the whole project will just sound like one giant chill out too so (laughs) (laughs) it's the team with the worst record but yeah it's just it's uh that's kind of where i get stuck and and i definitely have to trim a bunch of songs off of albums because i'll have i'll just upload everything i'm making and then i'll look at it and be like "Mm, 30 song album is too much (laughs) even though i've done that a few times but i'll go through and trim it as much as i can that can still hold the idea uh and then sometimes i'll add like a bonus track on Bandcamp if you know like this might complete it for somebody but as as uh as far as tracks further back in the catalog one of the older jams that i really dig is uh is still falling off flurries and flourishes that that mazzy star sample yeah you remember yeah, yeah man you remember anything about making that one because that's just like a very cool take on that track i think yeah that was uh i think there was a period where i was like like everyone and not say everyone knows but like fade into you is like their big song but i yeah right that was the name of it (laughs) and i was like i've never heard any other mazzy star song i don't think most people have yeah so like i found their album in goodwill and i was like i know why this is here they probably bought it for the single and then just turned it in or whatever but i was like if they were that good for one song maybe there's something else and so i went through the album because i'm pretty sure it's off that first album um maybe their only album i don't it's know the I don't purple know. one yeah yeah <laughs> with like a velvet cover yeah. or something yeah and i was like i like this one too but i've never heard anyone even talk about another song off that album so i was like let me try to rework this and see yeah lots of falling themes falling you know in life or in relationships or whatever it was but i was like this is i can hint at this it has some guitar in it i don't know there was something about it where i was like i want to flip a sample off an album that was popular and I had never heard another song off of it. Yeah, and you're also just, I don't know, you're you're bringing a couple of genres together, too, of this, yeah. you know, this alternative, shoegazy, like, slow, sad song to <laughs> some hip-hop, and, you know, yeah. it's, yeah, it's a cool feel to it. Yeah, it was, like, uh, my very meager attempt at trying to do, like, a Portishead-style yeah. song, where I was like, eh, I... 
down tempo guitar-y boom bap drums type stuff but Talk to me about squad. Cause oh, this man. is like heavy on the, the collaboration <laughs> side. And it seems like you, uh, you don't shy away from the collaboration. And I don't know if it seems from the work you do in the community and trying to like start something like a beat happening, connecting with people around you and, and artists from like all over seems to be like important to, to what you do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was essentially the inspiration for this. I think, a lot of, uh, and it was headed in that direction. I think, you know, through the community I've met through a beat happening, you know, I meet people who play instruments, but maybe don't make beats or they, you know, they're like musicians who add on to beats, but, um, you know, maybe didn't have a place for some of the stuff they were working on. Um, and I was always like, just send me stuff. I love original samples from people i know you know because i sampling i do all day every day but if it's if it's something i have a personal connection to too um and then as i was gathering those things the pandemic shut everything down but i was like i can still like now that i'm trapped indoors in my studio essentially um let me start to gather more of this source material from friends to just to mess with and kind of like stay engaged with people. Cause I could feel everyone kind of turning inside and being like, see you on the other side type thing, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. where I might not hear from them for a long time. So I was like, let me just stay engaged and keep gathering stuff. Send me what you're working on. Even if it's not complete, even if it's not shiny, you know, like if it's just like an, a rough idea. And then there was some people I knew who were like, they were like, I can't play anything or sing, but I'll, uh, I'll send you some quotes. And I was like, do that. Just send me rants or send me like you saying something or saying a word or <laughs> just like, just send me anything that's on your mind. Uh, and so initially I was going to put it out in like April of 2020, but then the world imploded <laughs> and uh you know essentially it heat it hit peak uproar at um when george floyd got murdered and i was like i don't feel comfortable putting an album out right now to try to be like hey who wants to listen to beats <laughs> in the middle yeah. of why the world is on yeah, fire yeah. and everybody's protesting and, the, and i was like all right i mean this these collaborations can wait you know, so I finished them and at least kept kind of noodling around with them, uh, kind of unsure of when I would put out another project, but kept in touch with people and kept wanting to like explore that and collaborate with people in my community and just people who I've worked with for years. And maybe we hadn't done anything just us. It's always been like contributing to a project. And I think, you know, as a kind of a general squad, it's just like all the people I know who make stuff. Let me put it on one album and, you know, collaborate in the way that I know. So some beat makers, I would like send them samples and let them flip it. And then we'd call that a collaboration. 
And then some people would send me their samples and I would make a song out of that. But I wanted to like give full credit to all these creative people I knew who were doing stuff. And so that's what that ended up as. Uh, some of them are like weird like styles of music that I wouldn't necessarily do. But I was like, let me just, I'm just trying everything. <laughs> you know, I was like, let's collaborate however we can. Yeah. Uh, and that's what, and even as a result of that, me and Free Tillman like birthed a whole project from that because I was like, both of us are beat makers. And so we gathered just a bunch of samples, sent them to each other. And we were like, here, let's just make a whole album from these limited samples. And then we, you know, sent each other what we made. And there was enough that I was like, we could just make a whole album out of just these. Like originally it was just going to be a collaborate one song collaboration. But then when I heard it all, I was like, we didn't sample any of the same songs and we only had like 10 songs in this folder so i was like let's make this an album and then i'll make squad into a separate album um, with all the other single songs but yeah so i mean it's the long-winded version of it but essentially it's just a celebration of community and collaboration uh that i wanted to like take time and present with giving people space to time digest the year that we just had but also to kind of like i don't know get, celebrate community when we were kind of like not able to gather yeah so. for sure like trust me which fe features uh vocals like throughout the entire record from visualized to poet oh yeah is that um is it a lot different for you composing those tracks and productions when you when you know someone's going to be rapping or, or singing over the track yeah that one every it's funny every collaboration with visualize has been like a surprise like uh for the, for our first project um <laughs> he like downloaded all his favorite beats that I'd ever made and then made whole songs out of them and then sent them to me and was like can I put this out and I was like <laughs> you made a whole album out of just my beats <laughs> like you wrote hooks you wrote verses you know like you did all of this and I was like how about we release it as a joint album and then, you know, I, and like kind of build out from there. And so it, I was so kind of struck. I was, you know, sometimes people send me one song that they did, but he sent me like a 14 track album that he made completely on his own out of beats that I had already released. And I was like, let's keep doing stuff. I was like, I, I, you made all of this without any direction. And I was like, you picked some of my favorite beats for this. And like, even with Trust Me, like, I'll send him stuff. And he's like, oh, that's the one. Send me that. Make it long, <laughs> make it longer. <laughs> and so it's, it's funny because I, 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 I put trust in him. Like if, if I, 
he fits the vibe of the track so well on most songs that we cre- that we created that I just kind of trust the vision of where he wants to take it. And so um, with that beat, I was like, this is a weird one. I don't know if anybody could rap over this, but he picked it. And I was like, I'd love to hear what you do with this. And so he sent it back with the vocals. And I was like, this is... I, it was just different enough that I was like, maybe let's see what happens. You know, I was like, it's not like, it didn't feel like a, like a hit single or anything, but it was a departure. It was different enough from the other stuff we did that I was like, this might stand out to people. Um, so we put it out as a single first just to kind of see what the reaction would be. And then people were like supportive of it. And so, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that really answers the question, but like, we were like, all right, people are willing to roll with the changes, and so like, let's just keep following that. Yeah, I love that. Uh, that shoreline shimmy. Yeah, is one of my favorites <laughs> on that one. And yeah, his style gives me like those bone thugs vibes at times, and then kind of these Kid Cudi common stuff going on. And it's a cool like mix of a lot of different stuff. Run it back. Today we're gonna run away from where the trouble lies. It's needless, pointless. Nature's really the only thing we need at this point. Pass me that joint. Hey, by the way, you're pretty. Feel look good on the dash. Also, the problems look good in the past. I know nothing lasts forever. Take a chance. Let's roll. Let go and let God will it. All your feels and thrills bring out the chill in me. Let's engage and face. I'm like a deal to me with clutch pop. Master swagger, your clutch purse. Now, baby, tell me what coach you wanna touch first. Mm-hmm. Could it be the ease? All up in the breeze. Could it be the west? Feeling super fresh. Yeah, some tracks remind me of like, north, like rolling with the force from the sword. Like the not the far side, but like Cali hip hop early 2000s type stuff sometimes too. Like, and it's he always manages to pick the beats that I'm like, I don't think anybody would rap on these, but he'll pick them. Like especially uh, Sunday's best. Like I made that not thinking anyone would ever rap on it. I was just making it for a fun. And he chose it and was like, wrote a whole song around it. And I was like, man, I don't know how you pick these, but you always pick the ones that I'm like, no one would ever rap on this. Yeah. It also must be like inspiring and kind of validating for you to know that this person just kind of wanted, like was inspired by your tracks to, to make their own art without even like saying anything yeah kind of just presenting you with these 14 tracks that they had like obviously like tooled around with and just like yeah i really like your music enough that i wanted to throw all of this over it yeah it was it was it was like i was really blown away by it and to tell the story i think it sounds like i'm like i'm lying almost like somebody (laughs) was so inspired they wrote a whole album and i'm like that's legit what happened like i remember <laughs> you know he sent me like a, a text or a dm on instagram was like hey check your inbox thinking that he had sent me like an email like can i use this or whatever and i looked and it was a whole zip file and when i downloaded i was like it's a whole you made a whole album <laughs> and i was like and it's not like they were demos like he finished the songs and everything and i was like yeah, we're putting this out. I was like, I, you know, this is amazing that you were so inspired that you, like, wrote a whole album, 
sequenced it, titled it, got guest appearances. I was just like, I don't. That's amazing to me. Yeah. I was like, I. Let's 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 start from here. How long have you been in Portland, man? Uh, I moved here in 2014. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what inspired you to put together a beat happening? I mean, I think when I first moved here as a beat maker, um, I was like, there are some events. Uh, like when I lived in, I lived in D.C. for a few years, and there was an event called Beat Grinder out there, and it was like, I mean, I was blown away because like people like Odyssey <laughs> would show up there yeah. and play beats, and I was and like Apollo Brown. I was like, I know, I listen to your stuff at home. <laughs> I, I was paid like $40 why are you here? to go to your show the other night. <laughs> yeah, I was like why are you here? Uh but I was like oh man they they come together and just play beats for each other. Um and then I went to New York and there was a few like meetups but nothing official but one of the things I got to see while I was there um uh Soul Spasm Records used to put on these things called Beat Society and they would get all these producers in a room and then everyone kind of play beats not as a battle but just as like a showcase and the one and one the one i got a chance to see was ill mind apollo brown uh dj skiz uh pharaoh monch was there to perform you know after the show was over but i was like i love like, I, I had known about it for a long time, but I never got to see one. And when I went there, I was like, this isn't a competition. They're just like, let's just play beats that we never get to play or that maybe aren't as well known as the ones that people do know of. And I was like, I want, I, this should exist <laughs> everywhere. I was like, I want to do something similar. So when I came out here and I kind of searched for that, there was a few spots like Thirsty City would host kind of left field and some beat maker stuff um but it didn't because they were often at bars it didn't feel you couldn't do all ages events and it wasn't always inclusive like women are pretty rare to see in that scene and so i I met my friend derek at a kickball game (laughs) for adults and uh, we were talking about interest. Oh, you're making it sound silly. <laughs> well, I was just like, we were like in the middle of the summer trying to find something to do. And I saw like, uh, you know, this group of folks gathering to play kickball. And I was like, eh, let me try it. You know, I was like, I don't know. I need something to do out in the sun besides walk around. So I went there and I, I talked to, to Derek. And, we, and when I told him I made beats and I was like doing these community things, he was like, I've been wanting to do something similar. He he had come from like the punk side, but he was getting into like experimental music. Uh, and we both lived at the time near Future Shock Records. So we walked over there, like after the kickball game, we went down there and we kind of pitched the idea of doing this beat making showcase. Uh, you know, like we were like some DJs, we'll kick it off and then we'll have like different beat makers uh, we aren't charging money for it, um, but can we do it here because we can do an all-ages show? And Tim uh, at Future Shock, shout out Tim, was supportive. He was like, let's do two or three and see how it goes. And then that just kind of kicked off like a th- uh, three-year run. Um, 
and we did it every month took the winters off but like built a whole community from scratch and it was like giving equal footing to people who had never played a show before and maybe had never even made beats before <laughs> like made their first 10 beats with people like ayatollah and trox and theory has it and all these people who were like clearly seasoned but putting them on the same lineup with somebody who's never even been out of their bedroom before <laughs> like in terms of playing music uh and just the community that built up around that was really organic. Um, you know, we, and we were intentional about like stacking the lineup with like women and young people and, and uh, new producers, old producers, experimental hip hop, all this different stuff. And I think seeing that there was support there for that and then people um, like we with no expectation, we weren't like, okay you came go buy some stuff to support the shop like we didn't we were just there to celebrate community and we filmed all the events uh so that people who couldn't make it could watch the videos online because we were both familiar with like uh boiler room but it was For something sure. something along those lines where it was like a performer in a room the room noise was there part of the recording but you could just kind of see people oh in the yeah room. yeah that's definitely like those yeah. boiler room sessions those are those are great yeah so we were like let's do something like that but for beat makers and so you know we just kind of shaped it each month trying to figure out what do people prefer but i think a lot of people just wanted to be in space with people who did similar work to them yeah you know and so a lot of times it was about putting people in the room who had never met and making sure that there was like a communal space. It wasn't in the dark. We encouraged people to talk to each other. Um, and it just kind of kept building from there. And like, it was all DIY. It was like no money being made, no money being spent, you know, no expectations on the crowd at all. And I think it, we would get like 35, 40 people at a time, which was pretty great considering we were crammed into a record shop. Yeah. Uh, but it helped benefit Tim. You know, he got sales. Kind of, pe a lot of people came in there and were like, "I've never been in this place before." Great so record was, store, yeah. Future Shock. Yeah, shout out Future Shock. Spent a lot of time there. I lived like less than a block away, so I was always in there. <laughs> uh, and I was like, "Oh, now I have an excuse to like make other people come in here." <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, and like everything else, the pandemic kind of disrupted that. Um, and, uh, Derek or Simbla, um, stepped away. He was like, you know, had other stuff come up for him, but I was like, I still want to continue it. I'll probably try to move it online, which wasn't as fun. I think part of the, the richness of it was to be there in person and to talk to people and build those relationships. And given the state of the world, I was hoping to bring it back in February for in-person events, but omicron is haunting yeah, everything we'll so i'm we'll like see. i don't know at some point in the future i still want to bring it back to an in-person event but uh you know i still keep in touch with the community i'm still checking in uh making sure to like people know that it still exists even if we're not active in the moment but you uh wanting to be a part of spearheading something like that and like creating that in some way is that just you gravitating towards wanting to be around people making art and just trying to meet more people that are 
pursuing their their passions and just like continuing to fuel the fire for yourself and making your own music and whatnot yeah i think that that was a huge part of it for me is i was like because i kept meeting tons of beat makers but then when i'd be like oh if you do you have anything do you put it can i listen to your stuff anywhere and they're like no (laughs) i don't i never put anything out and i'm like have you ever played a show like nope i'm like how in the how will anyone ever find your stuff some people were like intentional about it and some people just didn't know what the next step was and i was like i know too many people that make beats that are way better than me (laughs) that i wish were more public facing and i think a lot of times there's they're waiting for someone to be like discover them or for an mc to you know like bring them into something but i was just like no let's let's make a show that's just for the beat maker because there's so many styles of beats uh and the equipment was always different that was really fascinating to me to like see like who uses an mpc versus who uses like guitar pedals and who uses like an all midi setup and who uses keyboards and who it was just like crazy setups that i was like i would never arrive at the same creative process but I love that you did and you create stuff. And, and, and part of that was getting eyes on that creative process for the audience to understand that you don't need what this guy has, you know, or, or the, what this person has. However you make music is fine. <laughs> like, you can always get better and get more equipment or whatever it is. But I'm like, start from somewhere, you know, like, make your thing have the rough sketch but you don't have to have like a mega studio dr dre setup to make stuff and i think demystifying that process was part of it too and i'm just like you can make it because i make it because he they make it because everybody makes stuff and now you have a place to showcase it and you can take it with you like play this event take the video go play shows develop a press kit Again, not everyone's equipped to do that. Yeah. But it was like setting up people for the next step. Um, And that's still kind of something I carry over into community work. Uh, You know, whether it's music making or not. It's like collaboration, networking, always growing. Is there, uh, you know, looking back on 10 plus years of of putting music out is there somewhere where you recognize maybe like the most growth within your yourself and your productions that you're excited about or like is there just like an area where you saw yourself at like a much different point from where you started as far as like being able to put out the music that you truly like envisioned yeah i think through you know not just the process with squad but it was like understanding like collaboration is often difficult not because i don't want to but it's because because there's a million different creative processes uh i often don't i'm like i could i can i can do all of it but i don't want to do all of it (laughs) you know like so i think a lot of times like i'll think oh it would be cool to get like a female vocalist on this or uh, like additional guitar or a different bass line or you know whatever it is um 
I think I've gotten more comfortable with that over time. I think a lot of times in the past I was just like, just get the idea out and release it to the wild and keep going. Uh, but now I'm like trying to be like <laughs> that impatience still exists. Like I'm still like <laughs> make, 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 make release. Uh, but every once in a while, like in the last year, I've had a chance to work with vocalists, like songwriters yeah, and trying to bend my creative process to fit to the songwriting process has been a fun challenge because I just don't think like that. Like I don't think of like bridges and verses and breaks. And, and a lot of times I don't really quantize things, but I, to stay on the grid is like kind of just in my DNA. So it's when I meet a vocalist who kind of drifts all over the place, I'm like, yeah. uh, it's off, <laughs> but it's just me like trying to force things to a grid. So I think, being part of those collaborations and kind of like seeing how it can work has been a fun challenge and like oh this is not where i thought like this isn't even how i thought the songwriting process went yeah um and so to meet uh vocalists who are graceful enough to kind of be like let's collaborate here's an idea i have can you do anything with it and because of the pandemic we can't really be in the same space so yeah i don't know it's it's been a fun challenge and i'm like i th i want this to lead somewhere I, in, in my mind every time i collaborate with somebody and it feels like it's it can be more i'm always like let's put a five song ep out and, like, and do it you know <laughs> like I, I immediately go into like finish we're doing this yeah i'm like we're gonna do the album cover we could do a video and all we're gonna go on like, tour <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like i try to like if i'm like oh this could be so much more and then often get stuck in the creative process of that first track. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think that's that's been something I'm trying to work on. I would like to try to collaborate with vocalists, you know, and finish those projects this year or into next year. Yeah, and I think the beat making stuff, I just kind of like... It's funny, as much as I try to explore, like, different styles of production like different trap elements I'll try to incorporate, which ends up not even being really trap. It's kind of a nod to like three, six mafia style production, um, which I guess you could call like vintage trap. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but a lot of times I'm like, I go, I'm finding myself going back and searching for like old breaks, even if they're well known just to kind of like chop them up again or, reintroduce them i don't know just new drum sounds and kind of key i don't know there's something about like constantly going back to search and pick up dusty things and try to incorporate it again like i, I can't give that up and sometimes if i make the drums too clean then i'll make the sample dirty like i can't like i can't polish anything yeah the rawness has to <laughs> exist in it but yeah. yeah and i gotta imagine doing all those collaborations and exploring different ways of making things is only going to like continue to inform your process in a way that's going to like hopefully help you put those fully like like put those visions in your head into reality and like bring them to life the way like you can hear them in your head or all those different things coming together and elements you know making yeah. things happen 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I hope sometimes that it it makes people realize like, oh, I didn't know you could sing over a Love Jones beat or whatever it is. Yeah. Like sometimes it takes the first attempt for people to realize like, oh, we could go in that direction with something. Um, so that's often, it's fun to kind of just create reference material that somebody might cite later as like, oh, I want to try something like that. Uh, you know, people mostly ask permission if they can use beats, which is fine. I mean, they end up in weird corners of the internet without <laughs> permission. <laughs> but, uh, but I always like to see, like, if somebody's inspired by something, what they end up doing with it. Yeah, for sure. There's a sample on brain food about contributing to making, like, music that provokes thought. And I think that... I think you definitely accomplished that in, in what you're doing. Like, that's what I, I take away from listening to your music. Like I was saying, definitely like very transcendent at times and, and dreamy, but also just, uh, yeah, it makes me, gives me opportunity to, to think about things and decompress as you were talking about from the, from the top of, as far as your intent and in making a lot of the music and using that as a, as a tool for processing the world and whatnot. So yeah, man, I just appreciate your uh, your very large catalog of music. <laughs> like for anybody that is is new to your music and they're stoked about it, they should be even more excited because there is uh, there's so much to check out. And uh, I would in, just encourage people to you know hit random on on any of them. Just just start wherever you uh, you think the artwork looks good. You know. <laughs> yeah, that's that's part of the fun of it. Is just like they're not sequenced in a way that you can't listen to them out of order. It doesn't really break anything. And I know during the pandemic, I made like a kind of like a chill out soundtrack for like in the midst of all the protests, I was like, let me create a playlist for people who are like, you know, seeking some sense of calm in all of this. Yeah. And so I put it out. I mean, it's just kind of like, it's not even, I mean, I'm, I've never had a hit to be greatest hits, but it was just kind of like a, it's kind of like a, just a collection of the most chill stuff to see if it was helpful, you know, like, cause it was, once I compiled it all together, I was like, this is obnoxious, but I could make like a nine hour playlist of just my stuff. And I'm like, that's a lot. But if it helps somebody zone out for a long stretch of time, then so be it. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to to chat it up with me. It's cool to get to, you know, learn where stuff comes from and and how your your process has kind of evolved over time. And you know, it's rad to hear that you've kind of always had that that ear for things or gravitated towards the the production happening within the music. And <laughs> and now you're, you know making records of your own that, that people, other people are doing the same, you know, and picking out those little things in the, in the song and finding, finding little tips of inspiration through the music and inspiring people to write things, you know, to yeah, your, no. to your music and whatnot is, is very cool. So thank you for, for doing the thing, hanging <laughs> with me. I'll definitely put all the links in the episode notes that people can, uh, so people can keep up with you and, check out all your your music and keep up with whatever is gonna be happening with uh, a beat happening and uh you and free tillman will be at north 45 every second sunday from 4 p.m to 6 p.m so that'll be that'll be cool 
free did the podcast like over summer sometime so yeah. it was awesome to get to get to know him the first time i met either of you was that that time at produce row when you guys oh, did the first cool. collaboration yeah no i that was a fun that was like the hottest day oh, yeah. <laughs> i remember being like but we you know it was still like a decent crowd for a, like a very sweaty day but it was like <laughs> um yeah it's just it's a, he and i are like a good balance of like style so it was like a fun way to like mix up the different not i mean it's the same genre but like we just to kind of explore different versions of, absolutely of beat making so yeah. it was like a fun balance and it seems to keep working every time we pop up to do stuff so yeah thank you for taking the time to ask too like i usually don't get to talk about the older projects <laughs> like most of that is like most people kind of start with whatever the most recent project yeah. was but i'm like sometimes i like to be surprised and be like oh yeah i do i forgot i made that <laughs> yeah i try to dig into you know as much as possible you know like the the full scope of things so. yeah no i appreciate that and uh we end every episode of the podcast with the guest saying the tagline for the show which is it's a program so if we could get the love jones it's a program we can uh properly end this thing all right, cool. Is, do I need to say my name? You can do it however you would like to. It's a, it's a open <laughs> box, no grid, Jonas. So <laughs> I, can I know that kind of fucks over. you up to go off the grid. Right. Uh, yeah. So this is Love Jones, and uh, it's a program. He nailed it, everybody. I'll put all those links in the episode notes, and I want to play it out with, uh, you know, one of those chill vibe tracks off of uh, a record of yours called Go Getter that oh, you yeah. put out in 2019. And uh, this one is called Late Days. It's the last track on the album. And I uh, thought this would be a, a cool one to, to send it off with. And uh, that's it. That's the thing. That's the, the Jelly Jams. And we will catch you on the flip side, Portland, or wherever you are listening from. Distro Kid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Can't say thank you enough to Distro Kid for their support of this thing. And make sure you go into the episode notes and find that Distro Kid link to receive 30% off your first year of membership with Distro Kid, making their already affordable prices even cheaper for you. So make sure you take advantage of that. And the link is also in uh, the link in my Instagram bio on the link tree. So you can find it there as well. Big thanks to DistroKid. Stay up. Stay tuned.